Welcome to the Zombie Coder, where less is more, worse is better, and features have purpose. This is hopefully your favorite lead undead software engineer, Andrew, again speaking from our small family homestead in the Midwest. In this past couple of weeks, it's hit me over the head repeatedly, the concept of ethics in software. Ethics as a programmer, ethics as a developer, ethics as a manager, all of these things repeatedly, I'm not sure why, but I've just been noticing it over and over the past few days, and figured it'd make a good subject for this podcast. I'm going to go and review a couple of new Netflix documentaries, and talk about some of the current news and some of my own experience as far as ethics and software goes. So let's start with the news story that kind of prompted this whole podcast episode. From The Guardian, Twitter apologizes for racist image cropping algorithm. There's a lot of words here, but what it amounts to is Twitter had an image processing algorithm that did not recognize people of color. And this is despite, I am sure, their best efforts, and they do indeed say uh, their test they already tested for it, or they did include testing for it, uh, as far as it goes with detecting the faces of well, black people, uh, African-American, or darker-skinned uh, persons. And uh, from someone that's done image processing before, I can tell you that uh, uh, the darker a image is, as far as color and light pickup, it does get harder to uh, determine contrast. And uh, unfortunately, that's an element of image processing. And what really it, what really becomes important in, in this sort of situation is an analysis of: is your quality sufficient, and is your quality uh, disproportionately impacting somebody for the use case? And as far as Twitter goes, you know, I believe they, they actually tried uh, to do the right thing. There's uh, other, other people that we can kind of point to that have far worse algorithms as far as this goes. Um, and then we can also take a look at, uh, you know, kind of the questionable metrics of like uh, Amazon or Facebook applying uh, face uh, image recognition. So as someone that struggled with uh, doing uh, image recognition projects, I do sympathize for Twitter, but I also think they should have tested better. And uh, it's uh, it's going to hurt them. It already it already has, and it's uh, you know it's bad it's a bad PR. But that does get into the question or the the larger question of software engineering ethics and where we as software engineers need to take a solemn look in and of at ourselves and th- this uh, thing with Twitter, uh, as far as uh, things go in the in the world of software engineering and ethical dilemmas, I I would say it is one of the more minor uh, things that has happened. Especially if you look at more egregious examples of well, even the same technology applied for other things besides uh, image cropping. Uh, one good example of that is the Facebook. Uh, A-B testing and sentiment analysis testing. I'll link to a couple articles there where you look at testing on people um, playing with their emotions really kind of start to wonder where do the lines of ethics uh, start to begin, especially when you have uh, software engineers doing A-B testing on people and not um, somebody that might have had to have a uh, 
uh, well, a professional code of conduct to handle human testing like that, uh, you know, psychiatrist or, or a physician. And do we as software engineers have a duty uh, to do no harm? I would say we do. Uh, it's a difficult thing for me personally uh, coming around to this thought uh, of ethics. And I can tell you the first time I really, I really started considering the ethics of my decisions as far as it goes. And that is when I was working in the civil engineering field, uh, funny enough, as, as someone, when you're in the civil engineering field and actually working with professional engineers, it's a really dodgy thing to call yourself a software engineer. The term engineer in that field especially has deep implications as to uh, what credentials you actually have and uh, the recognition of an authority that actually allows you to be called an engineer. And so, Generally, when I was in that environment, I would, as such, introduce myself as either a math person or as a programmer or developer or say that I was uh, the mad scientist behind uh, the, the, the throne of the, the professional engineers. And the professional engineers, they really had a very different uh, role as far as life was concerned. I, I was surprised by the amount of weight their decisions had because they take a personal responsibility in it. As a professional engineer, you are, when you stamp a thing uh, with that, that uh, PE stamp and you say, you know, project is good to go, you are uh, putting uh, yourself at, uh, at danger professionally um, because you're you're signing off and that is not really a step we as software engineers tend to take in fact our license agreements uh, generally say don't ever use this for anything it's not uh, trusted it's not good it's not fit for market even if you look at the disclaimer that is standard boilerplate for so software products it's really kind of sad i can accept it from the open source community because we're volunteers. We're here to uh, provide something. We're doing it on our free time, usually. But as far as the professional environment goes, if I drop, you know, $1,000, $2,000, $10,000 or $20,000 for some packages, if I'm paying that much, I expect a product that's fit for purpose. And I don't think that is out of line, especially uh, since that much money can be involved in some of these commercial packages. Anyway, returning back to my, my initial realization of the ethical implications of my decisions, it, funny enough, started with a product that I really had nothing to do with. It was a magnetometer, and the way this thing would work is basically, as opposed to the normal mode of operation of, as far as traffic detection goes, when I say traffic, I mean cars on the road, motorcyclists, uh, bicyclists, um, anything that's on the street, opposed to like an inductive loop or a camera system, this was a small little puck that you'd put in the ground, and it would uh, collect, um, it would measure ma the magnetic field, and use that as opposed to other means to detect if a vehicle was present or not. And the very first version of this that we took a look at and got back from the factory, uh, the, the contract manufacturer, it came in and I looked at it and my initial thought was, 
well, that looks like a fun way to kill motorcyclists. Like, it, it was this thing that I couldn't imagine a, a biker hitting and not losing control of their motorcycle. And I raised up the issue with the engineer who hadn't even thought of it uh, concerning enough. And I, I looked it up and there, there are uh, specifications for the allowed uh, slope associated with something on the road like this, as far as the technology goes, um, or, or a, a sensor or whatnot. And, and this thing was way out of spec. And, and fortunately, uh, there were people and safeguards to catch that. But the software engineer that had been working with the contract manufacturer just, just build the initial prototype device had not counted uh, that as a requirement. He was looking at it as a, a you know kind of an initial uh, prototype design, and we or he uh, created something that could be quite dangerous, and that got the wheels turning in my brain of, oh wow, I I can make decisions that actually hurt people, and that had been something that I thought of when we got into the uh, civil engineering or when I got into the civil engineering field initially, because uh, all of the devices that we worked on were essentially real-time uh, control equipment uh, for traffic intersections. And they had the implication of having safety impact. Uh, one of the big selling points for the product we worked on was reducing accidents. And just as a disclaimer, I don't want to get into too much detail as to exactly what I did and who I worked for. Uh, it was not a red light camera, though. I just want to be clear about that. Red light cameras actually tend to increase uh, traffic incidents. We worked in uh, intelligent infrastructure uh, with the, the uh, goal of reducing uh, traffic uh, accidents, obviously. But when you're working in that sort of field and you're working on equipment uh, that the failure of it or the algorithm behind it can impact people, ethics should be a consideration. And as programmers, I think, especially now with uh, the coding academies and self-taught uh, folk, it might not be an area where there was any real either mandatory training or real thought uh, going into it. Is you know you start off with I just want to make software. It's a fun field to get into, but then you kind of have to come to grips at some point with oh my the uh, the things I'm developing can have a real world impact. Hopefully they do. Hopefully it's a positive impact. But anything that has an impact it's worth taking a look at and seeing if that impact can be negative. Uh, one of the sad things about our industry, I think, is not enough focus put on the ethical guidelines as far as things outside of the product goes. If you look at the original 97, I think it was, ACM uh, guidelines for software, software uh, ethics, they started out with the product being the number one thing. Like it, the product is the most important thing. It should be uh, on time and bug free and all this. And they didn't really focus on uh, what I would consider the most important uh, fundamental ethic guideline uh, for a professional in general, which, which I would take directly from uh, the medical profession and that's do no harm. I think at some point, uh, we really have to look inward a little bit. Um, you know, going back as far as our history of the field goes, IBM was responsible for building computers to help the Nazis with the Holocaust. And, and you look at that and you're like, my God, how could people do that? Um, 
well, it made money. And making money, uh, that's sometimes a, a way to kind of dodge the ethics question. But I, I don't think it's uh, fair of us to do that. So kind of as a background, I actually watched a couple documentaries on Netflix uh, this past uh, couple weeks. Uh, the first one being The Social Dilemma. And that's really kind of one... I, I think the documentary is well put together, and it has some interesting ideas in it. But the idea that I want to cover, it wasn't really covered in that documentary. But maybe indirectly, they, they at a time, focused on uh, this kind of idea of representing algorithms as people. And they had three people each rec recognize uh, or each representing a different part of the the algorithm uh, for Facebook and how uh, Facebook or not necessarily just Facebook, but just a social network in general might be trying to filter and manipulate a user. And the interesting thing to me when I look at algorithms in general and I look at systems is what I would refer to as um, uh, emergent effects or network effects or you know, there's other terminology, but basically this idea that these algorithms can interact together to create an effect that independently might not be observed or independently might not be heightened. But when you start adding all these things together, you really can create a very uh, a powerful effect accidentally just through the combination of uh, algorithms. One of the other things I noticed was that most of the people speaking in the documentary were actual developers and executives who at the time, according to them, and I have, I have no reason to doubt them, uh, but at, at the time when they were uh, doing these actions, didn't really see anything wrong with what they were doing. But then they look back and they're like, did what we develop actually help people or is it harmful? And when they look back at it, they realize that their decisions over time were maybe what they thought were good, but at the end of the day, those decisions were, were actually harmful. And I, I think when you start looking at technology and machine learning in particular, if you ask a machine to optimize for something and you give it a data set, depending on what that data set is, there are any number of things that that machine can latch onto and optimize that might not be a desired thing for you to optimize for you might be trying to optimize for what you would perceive as a positive effect. Like, let's say uh, Facebook, you know, I want to optimize for the user experience where users see what they want most. And then how do I measure that? Well, I measure that by the time they spend looking at an image. And so now, okay, I'm optimizing to make maximum time that somebody looks at an image. But are they looking at that image for a positive reason? The computer has no way of knowing. And the way that uh, human uh, psychology ends up working, it seems, at this point at least, is that we have a tendency to get really wrapped up in negative, uh, negative emotional fuel uh, that, that is not the healthiest thing for us as far as these social networks go. And I don't think the people that developed these algorithms at least initially, you know, in the early days of Facebook, had an idea of what they were doing there. But now the end result is that the machine has optimized for that. And it's, 
it's creating a potentially toxic environment or echo chambers for multiple people. And we're seeing that play out on multiple of these social networks, and we're seeing people take advantage of that situation. So am I saying that people working at the social networks are evil? No, I'm not. But as software engineers or as programmers, I think our, our lack of consideration of ethics has been hugely harmful in the products that we create overall. I'm kind of going to switch over now to another documentary series that I thought was really good as far as engineering ethics go. And really the, uh, the end results and, and the repercussions of ethics and middle management or maybe I would actually argue a lack of professionalism and how that can end up uh, impacting things. And that other series was the Challenger series on Netflix. And uh, I believe it was called Challenger The Final Flight. And I knew a little bit about Challenger. I was really young. I have a memory of my parents. Uh, I wasn't in school. I was, I was at home, but my parents turned on the TV and uh, we watched uh, the space shuttle and the space shuttle uh, exploded. And as a, as a child, I didn't, I didn't quite have, I thought that's what they did. Um, I, I was convinced it was like Star Trek and they'd warped out or whatever. Um, I didn't really realize that uh, the the gravity of what had happened until my parents really just got uh, broken up about it. But the the Challenger flight, and I, I was really too young to understand the technical aspects, definitely of it. Um, it was a huge deal for a lot of people, and what I never had realized was the degree to which people knew something was wrong. And I don't know if that is perhaps a little bit of retconning uh, the past because of the actual accident that happened, so it was easier. But the evidence uh, presented in this documentary uh, made it uh, uh, seem, at least, that the knowledge of the accident was e extremely extremely there and i i would say the uh, the more da damaging thing to me uh, as far as the the whole process goes and recordings was uh, nasa's response immediately after and really their response during where they essentially uh, told people hey don't uh, don't answer any questions and you know they did the media lockdown thing but then they became very opaque during the process as well and uh, you definitely got the impression via both the papers and uh, uh, the evidence presented that there was a, a degree of covering up going on. The thing that really strikes me about professionalism though and this is something that we can look at uh, I'm not overly a fan of the Clean Coder series but I do think uh, the Clean Coder book uh, the Code of Conduct for Software Engineers really does get to some of this. It, Robert Martin frames this as a a lack of professionalism that creates this environment. And I'm inclined to agree a little bit with him. I do think there is a degree of, I, I would say, a mindset of top-down management that creates this where you have a middle managers that see their job as relaying what people do and not 
really uh, taking responsibility or ownership for the implications. So they're, they're essentially relaying only they have no skin in the game. Like whatever happens, like they're not going to have to take responsibility for for the the incident. And that really struck me when I was looking at the interviews there of the uh, director and and some of the others in management ca- capacities. And and the thing that really just hit me like a ton of bricks because I've actually heard this uh, when I have raised safety concerns before is don't think like an engineer, think like a business person. And this realization that uh, sometimes, you know, you have this concept of acceptable risk. And really, at some point as an engineer or as, as, as a programmer, you have to look at acceptable risk and what that means to you and make a determination of whether or not you are willing to accept that somebody is saying that. And if you are in an environment where the management has no responsibility for that decision or the management really is is, is relaying uncaringly uh, so much as to obfuscate uh, the actual risk, that is an environment that should not be tolerated by a professional, in my mind. Now... The other issue there is, from an ethics standpoint, do I, as a software engineer, present myself professionally so that when I give that opinion, that it will be taken seriously? And I think we do ourselves a lot of disservice, and that's where I really jump on board with a lot of what Mr. Martin has to say, that we as software engineers need to really step up our game in professionalism if we're going to be taken seriously as professionals. And I think that will be hugely important as far as the ethics of software engineering goes, because as, as somebody that is a professional, it is your responsibility to, to have an ethics core. As a mere programmer, you are basically saying, okay, I have all this technical ability, but I am willing to put it to whatever use. Uh, I do not care that I build a computer for the Nazis. I do not care that uh, my programs uh, can be used to hurt uh, minorities. That that's a really negative. Uh, that's a really negative view um, from a group of people that really create things on a daily basis with a huge amount of capacity for harm. And so, as an industry, I fear if we do not get on top of this uh, and start having these uh, guidelines and, and ethics. Uh, one will be provided for us, and we will have to deal with uh, a great mo- a great degree of oversight that uh, we do not deal with today. And anyone familiar with uh, doing software developments in the areas of, uh, well, anything related with civil engineering uh, to some extent, but especially when you start moving on to things like medical devices, aviation, and automotive devices, to a lesser extent uh, automotive, but... I think that needs to change very, very drastically. Uh, right now, the automotive industry is killing people. Um, not to talk about that as, as a subject, but the the aviation industry, is, as a for instance, uh, they, they have uh, very stringent requirements. And I think that uh, some of them are valid, but I think the lack of professionalism in the field, we are not developing a toolkit 
to be able to develop software in a way where we're taking seriously. And so the solution is uh, external um, process-based solution. And I don't think that that really will benefit the world or us as, as far as professional happiness or safety goes or, or actual quality of product. I, I don't think a process in and of itself will guarantee uh, or the, uh, the kind of coding guidelines that you see I don't think they will guarantee uh, quality products uh, that are bug-free. So I'll kind of close out here with another story um, that uh, I read fairly recently. And it's one that struck me, uh, it struck me sideways because I never considered that other areas uh, might have, or other areas of software beyond things that were mission critical or safety oriented would have ethics uh, requirements. And that, that was a blog post. I haven't been able to find it. I'm still looking for it. Uh, try to try to link to it in the show notes if I ever do. But that was a blog post done by somebody that was a web developer. And one of their earlier products was for a marketing campaign for a drug company. And basically this marketing campaign, they set up a question and answer sort of survey thing. And that that survey always directed them to talk to your drug about uh, talk to your doctor about this drug. It never had a, another answer. So you know whatever the user did, uh, that was the base level um, that, that they would always get, even if they were perfectly healthy. And years later, uh, the drug got a, a black box of warning, and I I don't know if it's been taken off the market or or not. I, I got the impression from his post it had been taken off the market. But uh, for those unfamiliar, a black box warning is a, a drug that has a substantially uh, Im- a substantial impact on uh, suicide or suicidal thoughts. And this engineer, you know, is kind of like looking at this and saying, my God, I made this drug that uh, people start taking and then they end up uh, uh, killing themselves over. And did I direct anybody to take this that uh, shouldn't have, that that, that uh, potentially ended their life. Now, to be fair to that programmer, I don't think that that is a fair assessment of, of what happened there. But you cannot get past that guilt. And that's a tough pill to swallow, especially when you start looking at uh, your... your uh, your desire and your goals as far as being an ethical and upstanding or moral person. So that's, that's kind of it for this episode. I, I think it is something that, especially now with what's going on in the news, that we should consider as software engineers, uh, what we're willing to do and what we're not willing to do, especially when we're in a field where there is a lot of uh, capacity for movements. It's not an area where someone should feel too trapped into a specific role. Uh, If you're in any sort of stable or decent market, if you are in a role as a software engineer where you are doing things that you feel are unethical, you should be able to move. And I would encourage you just from uh, friends and and so on that I have known that did to to make that move because I think it, uh, in the cases I have seen, uh, tremendously helped the people involved uh, and took a, uh, a a load off of their shoulders. And that is something to consider whenever you're looking for a, a particular role. Is it something that you can look at yourself in the mirror for 
and, and think, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this uh, day in and out. Now, as us as zombies, I am going off now to uh, to go consume some code, and hopefully everyone here will have a good day. So, until next time, Zombie Coder out. Music by Audionautics. This podcast and others available on Stitcher, or check this podcast out by itself at texttux.com.